you know, when you start putting your, your, you know, realize that your mind is really good at making things worse than they are, you know, you know, fear is a liar. Welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways. And on this podcast, they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. My guest today is someone that I am truly inspired by. She was originally born in Paris, but moved to London about 20 years ago, and she couldn't speak a word of English. Yet within her first year in London, she earned a double degree, and she has since gone on to build and found multiple companies, now the main one is three column rule she is also someone who took the initiative when she realized there was a problem with women in tech and she's not a fan of a tla black women in tech very very influential brand strategist and one of the most influential businesswomen in linkedin flavilla von gang shares her story of how she's had to navigate throughout her career what she's learned and some key lessons that her mom taught her that really helped shape and mold her to become the woman that she is today. Let's get straight into it. Welcome to Everyday Leadership. And today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Flavilla von Genk, who is the founder of Three Colors Rule. She is award winner on the Key woman in tech. She's an author. She's got this loads of different awards <laughs> <laughs> behind her name, and she also has um, a podcast, um, Tech Brains Top Podcast, which is absolutely brilliant. And I would definitely recommend. Flavella, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm really well, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I mean, we were talking in um, last year. I was like, we well, just need to get you on the podcast and just. And just talk properly and, and share your your story because it's so inspiring from where you started out to what you're currently doing right now. Yeah, I guess sometimes you forget to look back into the, your journey and what you've done, but I guess you know it's something that people want to hear and feel feel motivated. So I'm happy to share. Yeah, oh, brilliant. I thought that should be a great place to start. Would be not what you're currently doing right now, but way back when you started, which was like in the oil and gas yes. sector. Because I was looking, I was like, you started with oil and gas to what you do right now. This is so completely different. <laughs> so how, do, how do you start, how do you end up there, should I say? How do you, how do you get into the oil and gas sector? What well, are you doing in there? That's a very good question. So before explaining about my journey into oil and gas, I should probably explain my journey into London. So as we can hear from my accent, you know, um, I was born. I was born French. <laughs> After all these years, I haven't lost the accent, and um, I moved to I moved to London. Gosh, eighteen years ago now, and I didn't speak a word of English. And uh, yes, I study. You know, I, I did a double degree, a B in economics and law, and a B in communication and marketing communication. Even after that, I, I'm a bit of a study freak, so I went from being a tomboy to being a 
obsessed with being the best at school. And uh, yes, yeah, so I finished then with a master's in international business. Then I looked for a job everywhere. I couldn't find it because I was overly qualified, but I didn't have enough experience. So I was good on CV, but too expensive. But again, not enough people to think that, yes, you have enough talent and you haven't showcased your talent. So I ended up, you know, looking and doing all kinds of things from door-to-door sales, you know, working in retail, translation. And then I found, I remember going, it's always, I always loved that story because I remember going for this interview and I had the same impressions that, oh, she seems very, you know, smart. And it was, I applied for a receptionist job. The reason why I applied for this receptionist job is because I could see the potential of, you know, of progressing quite fast, which was really good. And um, so, yes, so, I, and they didn't take me. <laughs> they said, no, we don't take her because she's already qualified and I think she's going to get bored. And then a month later, they called me by the recruitment agency, called me by, so, yeah, they actually, they want you. They, they, they took someone, they, you didn't go well, and if they wanted to change your mind, they want to talk to you. And, and me and my big ego at the time was like, nope, I don't want it. <laughs> and then the recruitment and said you know what just go and see you have nothing to lose so imagine going to an interview where you're so relaxed people just want to convince you to work for them and you are the one asking the questions that's how I went to this job and I negotiated my salary so I took this opportunity and it was an event company in oil and gas and I started as a receptionist but it took me less than two years to become the head of department the company was extremely ambitious and grew very fast. Went from I think it was about fifty people in office in London Bridge, and then we moved to over almost one hundred and fifty people again. So, which was amazing. So, find myself in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia. Find myself in Asia. Find myself, you know, Europe, whatever I'm used to. Find myself across the world, you know, in, in in South America as well. And yeah, that's you know, I never chose oil and gas for say, but I think. My um, my just my my, I think you know there's there's a you know there's an element of a bit of random which was beautiful because I obviously didn't know anything about about oil and gas but I learned as well along the way, which was fascinating, and also really opened my international career which is so important especially when you where I am right now where I'm de- dealing with so many cultures, you know understanding that how do you do business in the Middle East how do you do business in Asia and so forth which is fascinating. You just um, touched on the fact that when you came to the UK, you couldn't speak a word of English and you got a degree or you got double degree. (laughs) 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 So how did you deal with not being able to speak English? Mm. And there's also certain things that you did. So I remember we talked about this in the past around even when you came in, you were very intentional on how you were going to learn English. And so I actually want to expand on that because yeah. it's it's a different way, a different way of approaching things. Because when I think about um, inclusion, for example, a lot of times we try to look for people who, who look like us or make us feel comfortable. But you intentionally didn't do that. And it actually made a massive difference. So that's why I really wanted to emphasize that point yeah. around your story. Yes. Do you know, it's a very good question because I think I've realized that, you know, I've always embraced diversity. Because I looked at, for example, before you know, living Paris, my friends have always been, you know, you know, colors of Benetton, so a mix of people from Asian, Arab, all sorts of background, black, and so forth. So for me, 
I feel um, people who don't think like me. So, and I think as well in, in the nature of friendship, but we love an argument. <laughs> so we love, you know, the, the idea that we can come from different backgrounds, but still find a way to connect. And the thing that I did when I came to London is that most people begin to be like human, you know, human behavior is that we feel safe when we're part of, of people, when we are around people look like us or sound like us. So when we travel, something, you know, we go, oh my gosh, you're French or whatever, you are this. And then you go people who look like us because it makes us feel safe. And But I realized that in this element of safety-ness, I couldn't really grow because I will confine what I knew already. And obviously making the move to come to London means that I have to put myself out of my comfort zone to really enable the growth of the person I needed to be and therefore learning English. So the first thing I remember going is uh, I shared a flat with an Indian girl, a Greek girl, a Chinese guy, a Korean girl. Discover, you know, we learn about language food because for the love of food. So all of us were passionate about food. So each weekend somebody was cooking something different, which was amazing. And again, same thing. Uh, I spent my time watching EastEnders, <laughs> which I learned a lot about it. You don't need to be beautiful to be an actor. <laughs> and then the video was good. So I always had the video on in my room because even if I couldn't understand, you know, step by step, because, you know, your mind still post information so i will always have a video on and say oh wow now i finally understand what he's saying but at first it was just listening to the music and then you know trying to turn the lyrics and then step by step you get there but yes it's that thing that you know i didn't fall into the the mistakes a lot of people do is that you know when you go somewhere you you know you're not comfortable you go around people sound look like you where i go the opposite say i'm gonna put myself and you know and and that's how I've managed in two months to be able to speak a decent English. And then after that, you know, keep improving. But I must also had an English boyfriend, so I did help. I mean, a black British, I should say, black British boyfriend, which really helped, which always, always funny. We're still good friends now and laugh at me when I couldn't pronounce some of the words. But it was good to have you there. There you go. If you want to learn English, aim with a different country, get a partner from different countries. There you there go. You <laughs> It does really help. <laughs> you know, when you went to, when you finally got the job as the receptionist and you rose up that quickly, did you have a vision in mind of something you're aspiring to get to? Or did you just get into that environment and be like, okay, I can make this happen? Mm. No, I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I didn't, but I had, uh, I think my, the nature of my character is always to be, always learning new things. So when I reach a point where, it becomes redundant and I, and, and I do the same thing and I'm not using the full capacity of my brain, I will do something else extra. So, and I would say that to, you know, to my team or anybody else, you know, that I have even as an intern, I say, um, you know, always think about if you're giving a task A and B, try to create another, you know, try to do something else above that because that's what really helps people promote. That's how people who are A-team players, they don't are not only good at doing what they do, but they go beyond that and they always do a bit more. So therefore they become essential. And I think for me was that is that I need to become so essential that not only I could negotiate my salary, <laughs> I really need to have Flavilla, but also I will always, you know, bring something that exciting into my life. So so quickly before even realizing I've implemented the you know technology in terms of why are we doing these super redundant things when we can use technology to automate some of the elements so it becomes so much you know faster in terms of how we process because human error you know cannot compete against you know the automation of you know of technology so i've implemented how technology can 
help us, you know, move things that are, you know, uh, redundant and focus on things that are more interesting in terms of innovation. What can we improve? So I did that with my department and quite quite fast. So, yeah, so it was really much that that really led me to leadership and always, you know, driving innovation the way I did. But there was so much I could do within this business. And at some point, I realized that my ideas were just, you know, too much of them. They, they were not ready to take on board my, you know, my desire to always push a bit further. So then I like to look somewhere else. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so is that what led you into moving into like um fashion? That's what led me, yeah, here. that's what led me into creating my own thing. I couldn't find the satisfaction. You know, I had a moody, you know, CEO. And, I, you know, I looked in terms of how I was managed and what I refused. I had really bad managers. One was moody and one was extremely micromanagement. And I became the opposite of that. Now, I always wanted to give people the freedom. That's why I really, you know, the, the whole idea of working remotely did not, you know, COVID or whatever, did not affect us as a team because I never focused on the input. I always focus on the output. Everybody knows what they need to achieve. This is the result I'm looking at. You know, this is where I'm looking at. And really, so this is what led me to, I always loved fashion. So I was always a fashionista. And fashion was more than the, the, the you know, superficial aspect of what it was. It was about how people, we, you know, we judge each other <laughs> by the way we look. And also, you know, our confidence is built in terms of how we feel. And I used to, because I used to work with women first, I would say like, wear sexy lingerie. I say, why? It's like, nobody's going to see it. It's for you. That's how you build your confidence. <laughs> if you look at yourself and you look good in the mirror, you can just feel like you can take on the world. If you wear some granny pennies, <laughs> you have the same confidence. So wear some sexy lingerie. Yes. I don't know about men. <laughs> So I used to say that, you know, to women and, you know, it was for me, it was a way of, you know, it was starting to personal branding in terms of how to build your brand. So, you know, where you know, perceive you, where people judge you. So if I go to, you know, if I go to the market and track the bottom, people don't have the same attitude when I wear my, my you know, my stilettos and my red suit, you know, and that's just how we are. We make judgment of each other. So, yes, that's what led me to the world of fashion and working with, uh, working with brands, some of them have been bought up, such as Debenhams <laughs> or oh, LK Bennett, which was such a long time ago now when you think about it, but a lot of luxury, which was all fun. But what really interested me was the fact that against something, those big brands were there and against something, you know, you have, you employ people who not necessarily are, you know, have a mindset of, a, of an entrepreneur. And I came in and, you know, you know, show them different ways of utilizing the strength of their brand through experiential events and so forth. And you taught you taught yourself when it came to to fashion. Correct. Where did that um confidence, shall I say, come from? Mm. I think is I think you know it, it all started with my you know moving to London. I think that you know when you start putting your your you know realize that your mind is really good at making things worse than they are. You know you know fear is a liar. It will prevent you by nature. Your mind wants you to to be lazy, you know. So I do a lot of things around neuromarketing. So your mind wants you to be lazy, so stay safe, do nothing as much as possible, so you can live forever. But sometimes during the during being lazy, obviously, quite <laughs> often being lazy doesn't lead to you know the best fulfillment. And I've learned to recognize that, embrace that you know that fear, and let it you know you know be around me, but not let it stop me from you know doing what I want to do. 
And I think that's, you know, again, something like everything that I do right now has been proof, you know, self, self-teaching. Really, everything that I do right now, an obsessive learner, I always consume audiobooks or, you know, books or whatever. I learn from different space, arts or psychology, in negotiation and all sort of things. But yes, yeah, so I've always, I always feel that, you know, the best way to stay, you know, to be happy is for con- continuously learning and, and having, meeting new people, exchanging great ideas. And that's why people say like, oh, how do you do all these things? <laughs> so yeah, because I just, you know, I, and sometimes I have to control myself. Like, okay, I can't do all of these things. Otherwise I will start a new business every month, but I can't. <laughs> I just had to, all, what I try to do is to pass on an idea. So, hey, why don't you do this? Because I say, I can't do it, but why don't you do this? So I pass on this idea. And I think I always think that, you know, the ideas are given to you. If you don't apply it, it gets given to someone else. A number of times we refuse to do something. Like I remember... You know, there's one place I love a lot. It's called The Ned in London. And this place, the first time when I came in, it's like, oh my gosh, I had this idea when I was 12 years old. And, you know, I put it on the paper, this place where there's different restaurants in one, 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 um, one, one um, building existed. A compare the market was one of, my, one of my early ideas when I was young. But again, something I didn't have the technology background to do it. So I would like to say to anybody listening to this, if you have an idea, don't think too much in terms of, how can you not do it? But find people around you who can help you make this, you know, reality. And I've tried to take the same approach now. When I have something that I really like, I just don't think about in terms of what I can't do, but who else can do it with me to make it work. If you were to give advice to anyone right now who wanted to start something new, what tools would you say they should utilize based on your experience? Wow, it's a lot. This is a big question. In terms of, are you talking about in terms of tech tools? Tech tools, knowledge tools, like key places. Obviously, you can go to YouTube and Google, mm. but are there essential things that you can say that focus on this area, spend this amount of time on a regular basis to kind of help you to yeah. get that structure into place? Because you've, you've done it a number of times. So I think it'd be great to get your, yeah. your advice. My advice would be to say that before you start looking into tools, think about why you're doing it. You know, which people do you have in mind? If you can visualize your target audience very clearly, then it becomes so much easier to do anything else. They will drive and be attracted to you. So really think about why you're doing it and who do you have in mind when you're creating this product and feel like it really resonates with them specifically. And I think probably, you know, something talking about my own mistakes and I wish sometimes I was a bit more niche, you know. So, for example, when the agency started, we were fashion, luxury, when when FMCG, when when energy, it's like, whoa, we need to come back in technology. And by going down, you know, niching was, you know, that's really where, you know, I'm saying that it wasn't successful before, but it was when really success became even even faster because it's easy to recommend. So you want to start a business tech, go and speak to Flavilla. You want to do this, go and speak to Flavilla. Then it becomes very clear in terms of who I want to work with and who I don't want to work with. So that's the first thing I would say, you know, if, if I even think about my, network for black women in technology you know exactly who is my target audience so they recognize themselves so therefore they you know they spread the word and that's really why this community has grown so fast but yeah, so that's the first thing you would say first before you even look into technology nowadays there's a lot of great tools so i would say take the habit of consuming information on a regular basis so learn information in the morning so for example for me i love blinkist if i don't have time to read blink is a great app to just listen to audio podcasts it's, it's not expensive or you have obviously Audible if you want the longer version. I love that. When it, when it comes to tools that I like, LinkedIn is still my favorite 
social media app. There's new ones are being started from Clubhouse and all sorts of things, but LinkedIn remains my, my biggest money generating. So know where your clients are. You know, you, you can choose to be a bit everywhere, but where do you spend the most of your time? You need to spend where the money generating information are. For me, LinkedIn, you know, I've attracted amazing partners, clients from LinkedIn. So that's super key. In terms of tools, you think, need to think about, I would say, you know, why am I able to do all of these things? I think about how technology, what can be replaced by technology? So one thing that at the moment technology can do is creativity. But um, when it comes to, the, you know, to, you know, for some of the outreach or some of the code calling, technology can do that. So to some certain level of, of, uh, of uh, being very best book. So I love tools such as Lemlist. I really like that. It's one of my favorite tool for call calling outreach. Um, other tools that I use on a regular basis that goes alongside Phantom Buster. It's really good. Again, that's, those tools are linked to LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is uh, the source. And then from that, you know, you can choose your LinkedIn outreach. Um, yes. Yeah, so, and, you know, YouTube is great as well from the way of posting content, but also finding content. And I would say, another thing that I would say to, you know, to someone starting right now, say, you know, focus on your clients, but also focus on your partners who have strength and power out there. So really think about who can influence the market, choose you. So I'm just thinking about the latest clients that I'm working with right now, which is a big company. And the reason why they're working with me is because they were influenced by somebody else. So you have to work for the villa. So I didn't even have to convince them. <laughs> I said, hey, I was told I was supposed to work with you. <laughs> So, okay, so this is why it happened. And that's so important. People really underestimate the power of having great partners to recommend you. And I always say that, that it's not about selling, it's about being so good at what you do that people talk about you and recommend you. If you have done that and really care about developing great product, great service, great customer service, then you have, you know, you have just, you're building a, a pipeline with the strength of others. I think it's um, probably the greatest thing you can get when your previous clients become your your spokespeople yeah, your and your PR people for yourself. Yeah, because yeah. it just makes it so easy. Mm, absolutely. And it speaks to the value of the work that you've done in the past as well, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I always work. I think it's one thing that people know that, you know, my character as a leader will influence how my team behaves. So it was, you know, people know that I always want to put people on a pedestal when I work with me. I want to feel like they're only working with me. They're my first interest. And their success is ours. <laughs> so they have to be successful so we can brag about their success. Because otherwise, <laughs> doing all this branding, you know, branding or, you know, or branding, especially branding, takes a lot of time. People don't recognize the impact because it's invisible, you know, you know, credibility or power that you're building for a client. So sometimes people find it really hard to measure it. So it's important that, you know, we, we set this right, you know, clients and desire to be successful. So we really want to make sure that clients don't only choose it, we also choose them. So we have to be, you know, keen on their success. Like, oh, maybe see what's what. No. Are you in on this? Are you, are we going to work together, you know, to make this work? Yes. And if they have that, then we keep on going. Would you say it's important for everyone to have a brand? regardless of what you're doing and what you operate? Or do you, would you say it's down to if you're trying to get a job or move into something particular? It's a good question. I think if you are just trying to make money, having a brand is not relevant. So let's say, for example, 
I have, I'm, I'm, I'm a company in China and I'm making a copy of the iPhone. Yes. So I'm basically targeting people who cannot afford, okay, I'm taking the iPhone, right? Unless it's something cheaper, but something else, you know, I'm making, there's a, you know, the board or I can't remember it's called, but any product out there that is very expensive. And I'm a company in China and just want to make a version which is cheaper. So the idea is that, you know, you put it on Amazon, so people are looking for that product, but can't afford it, can find the other product, which is cheaper. So in this case, you don't need to have a brand, you just need to buy a business because you're just focusing on selling as much as you can and making profit. It's about that. But if you really, you know, as an individuals nowadays, having a brand is important because also as individuals gives you the power to negotiate your salary. Yes. You know, when people come and say like, okay, my name is so, so forth and I have this amount of followers who already listen to me based on that subject. Come and say, wow, you come to me with, you know, not just with you, you come to me with an army of people that will listen to working with my clients. You know, that's a lot of people really underestimate the power of building a brand. So, so for me, as a marketer, I'm also an influencer to other marketers because I've created models that explain how, you know, you know, you can, you know, the power of building a brand and what you do as a business is almost irrelevant. It's everything around it. That's really what creates the, the interest for your for your business. Let me explain that a bit, a bit bigger. So a bit better. So beyond marketing is one of my models. I explain that when you buy an iPhone, it's not because of the phone. Yes. You know that if you want to make a call, any phone can give you can make a you know you can make a phone call with a phone. Yeah? If you want to just access internet, you can access internet with any phone. But why people who spend £1,200 for a phone when they get a cheaper one? It's definitely not because of, you know, of the fact that you can make, you know, they have basic functions. It's about everything else that this brand represents, you know, the status, you know, the lifestyle, da, 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 and so forth. That's really what you're selling. And that's extremely important. And sometimes you can attach that to your, you know, your societal impact choices or societal issues that you want to focus on and so forth. That's really, really key. So being good at what you do is expected. But everything that you do beyond that to create a tribe around your business is even more important. And that's, you know, that's what's key in developing a brand. So what is the best way to create a tribe? Best way to create a tribe is to think about, again, something comes back to your why, you know. And I talk about that. I did a, I did um, you know, when the Black Lives Matter started last year, I did a talk around that, and it was about people, you know, marketers were were utilizing the Black Lives Matter to for their own good with no understanding of it. Really annoyed me. And when I was asked to talk about this, and the first thing is to think about what is, you know, what is the thing that you you want to create that is beyond just the delivery of your service. So. Let's say, for example, uh, if I'm a company who cares about the environment, the, you know, you know, people don't, you know, by choosing to care about the environment, you would attract people who, who, who are the same, who are the same about the, you know, they care about the environment. So let's say, if, you know, it's a bank like that will focus on, we are a bank and we also care about the environment. So we would choose to bank with them because of the choice that they make regarding to societal issues. It could be that or something else. But I like to give the example of the hairdresser, yes? And I remember doing this, it's actually a talk that I have right now. So it's a hairdresser. So you're a hairdresser, and I show these photos of so a hairdresser, and there's people on the beach all partying. <laughs> I was obviously pre-COVID. <laughs> 
So you have and I ask people like what's the you know correlation between this hairdresser sitting in a salon with this woman and then these people on the beach? I was like, I don't understand. What is this? I said, Well, okay, she you know, she she's good at what she does, yes. But around her brand, she's she's specifically want people attract people who want a certain lifestyle. But people understand that, let's say for example, I'm a uh, I have a salon in Chelsea. I'm going to attract the same type of people in Chelsea. We do Santa blow dry, whatever it is. But what she does around her brand, she starts creating events, like champagne events, luxury events, and so forth. So therefore, she starts creating a tribe around the business. So people don't necessarily come anymore for just the hair. They come to be part of the, of the, of the tribe that she created. You see what I mean? So that's why I say, like, everything that you do around your brand is what really creates a tribe. So for example, for me, in my world of technology, I have a mastermind of tech, tech leaders we have, where we have conversation around what can we do or what are we doing to really just make a positive impact on technology on, uh, on the world through technology. And that's the kind of thing that you need to think about. It's not just the delivery of me doing a brand, great branding, it's about how do I be put together? We can exchange ideas and do amazing things together and connect and so forth. And that's what I've created as well for Tech Brands Token, so, which is amazing, which I really rec- recommend people to do. So think about what is beyond your services that you can do that will be put together. An example of a hairdresser, thinking, oh, it's something you can do. Well, you can put some amazing luxury events on the beach, whatever. People usually come and pay, maybe paying £300 for a haircut. But at least they know they get to access your amazing events where they meet other fabulous people and so forth. And remember that people are... We, we all want, we attract people who look like us. So the more we see people who look like us, part of a tribe, the more likely to join it. So it's about adding that value mm-hmm. and adding extra layers on top of the, the core yes. product that you give. So they're not just coming for that one thing, they're coming for everything else that you can also give as well. Absolutely. So it can be part of your DNA from the start. Let's say, for example, if there's this brand called Tyler, who, for example, they, they do uh, luxury, they do sportswear, fitness brand, fitness wear uh, based out of recycled material. Or it can be something that you realize, oh, I never had it. So you can add it afterwards as another layer. So either within your DNA or even add it as another layer if you never had it, which were people think, oh, it doesn't need to be good at what I do. That's what I need to get to do. Well, it's not enough. You need to think about what is beyond that and, and what is really what will be put together and therefore, again, something people want to feel like they're part of something. Yeah. Sam, what advice right there? Yeah. <laughs> you've talked about, obviously, you being a leader, as well as previous experiences that you've had of, of bad leaders and bad management. So I'm curious to understand, what is your definition of leadership and what makes a good leader? Mm, I love this question. You know, it's funny because... If it was someone, I did an interview and people say, you sound like a coach. I say, oh, it's true. I do sound like a coach. And I think, you know, the difference between a manager and a leader is that the manager would tell you what to do where the leader will enable you. This is what I do. I love to enable people. And what I is people come to me and, you know, they come with preconceived ideas in terms of what they're capable of doing. And I will always challenge them, say, you think you can do this? We're going to try something that you've never done before. That's how we're going to do it here. So we have a bit of fear, anxiety, which is fine. It's good anxiety <laughs> that I give to them. But I think, you know, what the leaders do is, first of all, you know, as they lead by example, it's important. So, you know, I come with my good energy in the morning. Sometimes she's crazy. <laughs> 
So example, yesterday, you know, clearly, I, you know, all I'm meeting and I could see they just woke up, literally woke up five minutes before the call. <laughs> I was like, you just, just woke up five minutes before the call. And I just laughed. I was like, you know what? I really don't care what you do. And I know people would end up doing that, especially when you work from home. And I don't mind because I trust them they can do the work. And that, you know, these little things don't matter to me. You know, if I need extra sleep, then go and get it. <laughs> but for me, it's that, you know, the ability for me to be vulnerable in front of them and say, hey, I made a mistake. So they can be the same thing, you know, in front of me and say, I made a mistake. So tell me before you try to hide it. So for me, good leadership is not creating an environment where they fear me. But I welcome them to challenge me and be honest. Say, hey, Favela, I want to do this. Or what do you think about that? And always, you know, feel that they can, they take, allow them to take ownership of everything that they do. And that's very important. So, and, you know, for me, it's really enable my team, you know, either indirectly, even people just look at me, follow me for what I do is that enable them to believe that they can do this. Because I always say fear is a liar. Don't let it consume you because it will stop you from being who you are. So great, you know, for me, a great leader enables people to see, you know, enable them to be a better version of themselves and feel fulfilled in a job that they really love and get excited to wake up five minutes before the call, but be there and always be present. So, you know, one thing that, you know, that I, that, you know, you know, that people love what they do and enjoy working with you is and when you say like, why are you still here? <laughs> why are you still here? Why are you go home? You know, go home, you go home. And that's, you know, one thing that I want, want them to feel that, you know, I'm not their manager. I'm there to support them, enable them to be better at what they do. And that's what they, that's what they do. Yeah. So brilliant definition of what leadership is, leads by example, or just there to kind of push people to be the best that they can be for themselves. Mm, absolutely. Because we have clients, you know, you have to say like, we have literally, we have clients who want things to up for yesterday. Like, hey, Fabula, I did this for yesterday. And then we have to deliver, and we we always do, which is great about us. But again, something you know, we you know, one thing that I realize as well, and I always teach them that if you give people if you give people a day to do something, they will take a day to do it. If you give people an hour to do something, they will take an hour to do something. So really, time can be as modular as as it can as you wish it to be. So really important to understand, you know, you know, get something things about my progression. That's what really frustrates me as well as well about France. Fonts when you think about promotion, oh, you have to wait a year. I'm like, well, you have to wait a year, yeah, to move to the next level. Like, that's what I love about English. Like, if you're really good, six months, boom, next thing, six months, boom, next thing, six months, whatever it is. Where here is like, you have to, de- you know, define this thing to control. That's a very hierarchic how a couple of Yeah, there you go. That's the word, you know, which really for certain about the fonts, you know, you know, management systems. Like, I want to progress fast and I'm, I'm a fast mover. That's why. You know, people say, how do you write a book in a in, in couple of months? And because time is irrelevant. You know, if I want to give myself a year to do this, I can take a year. If I want to give myself two months to do it, I can do it in two months. It's up to you. And I was good to have a deadline in your mind in terms of what you want to do. But be to create your own norms in terms of what time is required to do something. Instead of say, oh, this is how much it takes to do this. You know, reinvent your own model to prove yourself and see what you can do. But if you follow, you know, if you follow the norms, you can never be a fully, you know, fully great innovator or, or game changer. That's what's really important. So you sound like someone who has a lot of self-drive, self-determination, just be like, no excuses. That's the time I'm giving myself. I'm going to stick to it. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. My mind is my biggest asset. So people say that whatever things that you do in the morning, first thing I wake up and I thank God. Yeah. So thank you. I'm awake. I'm going to live another day. I'm seeing February. My family is alive. My friends are alive. I'm happy. Then I wake, you know, I wake up being grateful for 10 things. I would say like 10 things that you're grateful for, you know, take the time to be, take, you know, to appreciate what you have is so important. A lot of people don't take the time to do that. From that, you know, my mindset, you know, I'm, I'm excited about the day. I'm excited about what I want to do. And then ideas start flowing to my mind, you know, so good things come, boom, great, you know. So I've always, you know, used, you know, understood the, the power of mindset and how you, you can fuel it to achieve great things. And I do the same thing around people around me. So, yes, yeah, so self-drive has always been that, but again, it comes back to my own personal why. So I'm driven by my own family in terms of what I want to do and achieve for them as well. Which is super key. It's not a selfish act. I know that if it becomes, you know, becomes actually even more success, it benefits just not me. It you know, benefits everything around me. That you know, I appreciate the sacrifices my my mother has done for me. So that's my you know one of my biggest motivators. So think about, you know, it's funny because I you know I love the book, which obviously gonna not come out of my mind. Think and grow rich. You know, think like you know men are driven by a woman. <laughs> I think about women then why can you be driven by that you know sex is a high driver which is true sex is a high driver i feel like what why can women be driven though you know like it was either a mother or either a woman and so forth i don't know if you read the book yeah it's yes. about love and sex and the energy between both of them exactly yeah. and it is you know it is a good one and thinking about what about women's point of view again something you know you can find your own drivers and for me it's just about you know, something from my mother's point of view in terms of what she's done for me, and, and that's super ext- extremely important. What would you say the biggest lesson you learned from your mom is? Um, it's funny. <laughs> she's like, oh, oh, was so clever. Why I never listened to what she said when she was when I was young. She said so many things. I was always been good with money. That's one thing. Like you know, even if she had not little, she always make sure that there's always food on the table. She's always good, big in terms of even investment. She was investing, she's investing, you know, for all her life, you know, and things like that. Um, you know, see, mama has always been the, you know, the one of the things that mama always told me, like, if you want a cookie, you're going to have to tell me. Because if you don't ask me, I can't give it to you. That's what it is. If you don't ask, you don't get. So I was always taking the approach of asking if I wanted something. That's, that's what's called prospecting. <laughs> or hunting, as I say sometimes. So think about the biggest problems I have. I've, you know, I've literally, you know, go and ask. You know, people, a lot of people go and expect them things to come to them, even though you know I have, you know, in my blood, you know, I have some royalness, royalty, and so forth. But yes, yeah, so the biggest lesson I've learned from my mom is that never let anyone feel pity for you. That's super important. And even when you have nothing, you know, not let people think less of you. So that's one thing. So always embrace. And I probably that's. That's probably where my desire around personal branding and elevating and, you know, projecting the right image to attract the right, you know, right people around you is important. So even if when I had a little, you know, I grew up in Paris, but I grew up in a ghetto. Oh my God, you're from Paris, you're from Paris. But I grew up in a ghetto, right? Where, you know, we, you know, you had, uh, you know, all sorts of, you know, bad influence around me. But I didn't let the external world know about that because I didn't want them to define me by my entourage or not necessarily entourage but by where I grew up to think that you know they could pity me so that's one of the things that lesson people my mom has taught me and how did you um, get into 
tech when I was getting into tech, but like create and found like the black women in tech. Yeah, it's a good question. I like that. So how did I get into tech? So yes, yeah, so as I mentioned, so when the agency started Free Colors Will started we were fashion luxury and then people came to us oh i wanted to work with us but we're not doing that's not what we do it's okay we want you to do it because you're highly creative it's like, okay so we ended up working in a lot of sectors and technology was one of them so at some at one point we had to choose we are doing too many things and it becomes really hard to prospect so we decided to say okay we're going to choose technology and be more thorough about that and it was we're super excited about technology because we had people who were creating amazing things but not necessarily find a way to do it and <laughs> explain it in a simplest way like what is it do you do <laughs> it's like talk to me in english <laughs> which we like which we really like and then the nature of the nature of my role requires me to be out there you know either you know network or or just you know speak or all sort of things and I've always, you know, I've always been accustomed, you know, working in oil and gas by the fact that I was the only one in a room, except when I was going to Nigeria, which was great. Yes. So worried about my people. And, <laughs> and then when I, when I've, when I've worked in tech, I said, like, oh my gosh, it's either just, I'm either just the only woman in the room or I'm the only black woman in the room. I said, I cannot believe there are no other great black women working in technology. I refuse the, the just the idea of not seeing other black women for me, was not possible. And um, I kept the idea in my mind, so I kept on going, like, this is, okay, great, it's good for me to stand out, being the only one, because, you know, me, I wear a red suit, come into room, hi, stiletto, you know I'm here, I'm, you're going to remember me. <laughs> you're going to know. You're going to know, you're going to know, yeah. You said, you know, I make the approach, they're like, who's this girl coming, coming to our circle? And, um, and then I, I was invited, my, one of my friends said, come for the to this event, we're doing this private lunch, and uh, she comes. It was 150 pounds. Like, oh, I want to pay 150 pounds for lunch. But <laughs> so let me see what's on the menu. So I say, oh, it's champagne. Okay, it's champagne. It's free course. It's like good. Okay, I come. I said, this guy you need to hear talk. His name is Rush Show. I was like, okay. So I was like, and I heard this guy talk, Rush Show. I was like, oh, it's quite nice. It's very, talk, you know, talk about the importance of technology and how, what he's trying to create and how much we, you know, we're going to have a, shortage of talent and technology and what he was doing so we connected so i really like you so first i have to be honest i pushed him as a prospect oh this is great he has all my prospects into inside this network we realized this guy's not gonna let me in okay fine so i said when to say i'm gonna go to the events and network by myself because obviously tla tech london advocate is a big group so you have loads of verticals and geographical and all sorts of things I start going to all the events, whatever it is in creatives, whatever it is in fintech. I'm still the only one in this room. What is going on here? I said, Russ, what's, why is there, am I the only one? I say, I know. I know I'm trying to fix this. I said, well, I'm going to fix this. And we sat down in a conversation. And um, it was so funny because I think he probably underestimated me, which I like when he underestimated me. So, yeah, when you do your lunch event, if you have 40 people, That'd be great. And then let me know when it's the day that I come up. In my head, I'm thinking like 40 people. <laughs> what is he talking about? <laughs> I don't have more than that. And then um, and then I started talking to Ram. He's like, I'm going I'm launching this event and this is what I'm doing. And then this then this company, uh, Family House, said, I want to we want to sponsor you and we'll do this, which is great. And um, and I said, Russ, the event is on this date, it's happening at this venue in Moorgate. 
at Abelf Nut and Latham, big family house, champion reception. And I had the speaker, the keynote speaker I had for this event was the only black woman on the rich list. Valerie Moran, fintech company, the only black woman on the rich list was her. And she grew a business by literally embracing diversity. And she did so well. I think she based on the business now, the still part of the business, but gosh, even richer. And we had about 250 people for this event. And it's like, whoa, okay, yes, now you know this room into this. And people excited, you know, people say, oh, I'm so glad you did this. So good to actually find each other, da, 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 and so forth. And I realized, oh my gosh, I had something here. And uh, and the first year, we literally the first year, we just ran on social media. We just had a mailing list. Because so it was run on the back of the agency. So it's a pro bono, you know, it's a non-profit. Now it's set up as a non-profit organization, so it's separated from Freecall as well. It was very much of a, let's see what this community comes together and realize the list is growing, 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 growing. And then, you know, we, you know, then Dutch Bank, you know, you know, work with us, Deloitte work with us, Department of Education, those you know, well get involved with us, Unilever work with, working with us. They realize, wow, there's a lot of people who actually want to find this amazing, talented black woman. They're out there. But most importantly, people who say they can't find them. People say to me, I can't find speakers, black female speakers, like, you were lying. Because I had every single month, I never had a shortage of black women to speak at my event. And on different subjects, psychology, communication, finance, investment, and so forth, we are all there. And it was just a place where whether you are in tech or not in tech, you could, you know, you can be, you know, you can be part of it, which is amazing. And I think that's what women were looking for. So, and we, when COVID, ha- COVID happened, we had to move online, which was actually a good thing because there's <laughs> less less logistics, just need just need Zoom. And um, and the back of that, we were able to grow our network now nationally, but also internationally. So we are now black women in, in America, black women as well in Africa founded founded us, founded us, which is amazing. So now it's actually become a global network where women come from all around the place. And now we have a website, which is great. So, you know, we started telling stories of black, black women as well on the page and, you know, so many things that they've done. And we're doing events on a monthly basis on soft skills, not hard skills, but soft skills. Which is growing so now, but you know, say I have to set up as a business. It can't be as a non-profit organization. It can't be just one thing because we want to grow. And one of my big missions for this year is to is to create a book because I was looking at where are the stories of Black British women who have done some things around technology. So we're writing a book about that that would tell the stories of fifty-one women who have had an impact in technology. And the idea behind that is to get it distributed across educational institutions in the UK. So every library for like when kids get back um, can read this. And I think it's important to have those stories that inspire you to think that, wow, she can do it, so can I. So there you go. That's what a powerful story. All from a 150-pound lunch. <laughs> and <laughs> your desire to actually see change within a space. Because someone so often... I'm sure there are people before you who have kind of seen that there was, uh, there was a problem there. But you're like, actually, let's let's do something to to change that. And it's grown. Like, I know a black woman in the second has got bigger, bigger over the years. And people talk around the, 
the network of meeting like-minded people and just bonding, sharing stories, but actually working together. It's been abuses come out of it as well, so that's really amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny because a lot of, it was a lot of naysayers. That's people have to have to remember. A lot of people would t- try to turn you to try to refrain you from launching an idea. Say, oh, don't do it. It's not necessary. We don't need this. It's just gonna alienate people. Nah, nah. I was like, why? I'm sorry, but I'm pro-black woman. What's the problem? I'm gonna do this, and it's not about that. And, and there's a lot of allies as well. Say, oh, what is so important? Because at least you know, you know. I always think that you know the person who is most underrated is always a black woman, and I know. So I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a black woman, you know. And it's important that we highlight the way that quite often they don't even realize their power. I think quite often they don't realize how influential they are. And this is why I want to highlight them so they can really regain that value, enable them to see that, wow, what you do is amazing. And they don't often, literally, I remember going with one of them say, we were talking at uh, was Black Girls Talk we did in November. I said, oh, I was part of, you know, so introduce her, tell us who you are. And I said, oh, I was part of a dot com. <laughs> and she did that so casually. You were part of a dot com, but she didn't realize how important her implication in the dot com was. And she just think, oh, I was part of a dot com. And I did that. And she said that so casually. It's like, you don't realize what you've done or what what family you're part of. A lot of people, and that's thing, you know, that's why branding, and I keep, you know, as a branding person, they understand the power of the brands. A lot of people are great out there, but they don't know how to sell themselves. You know, you don't have to be the best in the room, you have to be the one who makes the most noise. And people know me, I'm always at least once a week on LinkedIn, always talking or bragging or whatever, because I know the silence watcher. At some point, people say, hey, Flavilla, I've seen all the great what they've been doing, and I'm going to reach out to you. That's me putting a seed in your mind on a regular basis, even if you don't engage with it. You've seen it. It's in your mind. And by the time you decide to engage, you think about, oh, I'm looking for a burning person. The first person that comes to your mind, it's me. Yes. Even if you don't need me now, and that's what happened. People came to me, oh, five years, 10 years down, and I said, oh, I feel like I see what you did. Now I'm ready to work with you. But if I didn't spend continuously that presence in terms of what I'm doing, then when it was time for them to take action, they would have to come to me. You know, people say, how do you get to speak among, you know, top speakers of CEOs of big brands? Um, <laughs> don't you know who I am? <laughs> you know, I know my worth, and I'm really good as well at portraying it as well. What's it um like growing up as a black person in France? Oh gosh. I think when you grow up as a black person in France, you have limitation. So again, I, I didn't mention this, but what before coming here in, in London, I really thought that could not only be the assistant of someone else, the assistant of a manager, because I never saw people looking like me in power or responsible in, in director roles or senior level roles. And if you don't see people look like you, so therefore your expectation would be uh, lowered. And that's why in London was such a pivoting moment in my life in terms of, wow. And I, I removed any barriers above my head thinking, well, if I want to do this, I'm just going to do it. Nobody's going to stop me. If I want to write a book, I'm going to write it. If I want to do this, I'm going to do whatever I want and make it happen. And that's really what it is to be, you know, they talk about equality, the design, so forth, but you can really sense that, you know, even though there's some progress now compared to when I when I left now years ago, 
But yes, yeah, so, you know, there was a lack of representation of black people in, in successful role. And the, the less you see this, and also you have to see in terms of where Paris has been built, poor neighborhoods will be, have been put in the outskirts of Paris, where you see here in London, you have council flats all over, all over the city, yes? So you may have a in Chelsea, you might have council taxes in Brixton, you might have a council flats or a council flats or in, um, in all fancy places. <laughs> Which always makes me realize, like this person paid this, this person paid this amount of money, they live just across the road. But but in Paris, it's the same thing. So really, we couldn't divide in the structure of the build, the, the build of Paris. So where if you are within Paris, they're going to create division. And if you if you will say, oh, you know, if you if you live in the suburb of Paris, you know, you are considered as second class. And in my in we now you know we're more in the center of Paris now. But before we used to live in the outskirts of Paris, so therefore, you know, you know, people say you come from the ninety-two or ninety-three or whatever, you know, you know, uh, region of Paris, you will know that you came from. People perceive it as lower poorest areas. That's how people will see it. So when you put your CV or you put where you come from, they think, mm, okay, that must not be good. So it was a good way to filter, you know, people based on their names. So if your name is Mamadou or Mohammed. You know, and they did that test where put exactly the same CV. One is called Carol, another one's called Mohammed. Mohammed didn't even get the interview. Carol did get the interview, but she got exactly the same role. You get the same ex experience. So yeah, so being being black in Paris wasn't um, wasn't you know wasn't as great as being in London. Even though you know there's still things to be done, but yeah, big difference. That's interesting. Um... What you just said right now, I can relate to that as well. I remember doing exactly the same thing in London mm. when I was trying to find jobs way back. And I just applied, 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 and I couldn't. And I changed my name, same CV, and I got interviews. Mm. And that was years ago. But, yeah, it's different country, but a lot of similarities and Absolutely. a lot of ways when it comes to... Yes. And that's why it's important to break those, you know, you know the the tokenization of black people in terms of you know as a as a marketer you know I, you know even me i influence my clients in terms of how do you represent in terms of what visual do you use for your brand because you know this the perception that will cultivate around you know the advertising marketing just has a big impact in terms of how we keep putting people into boxes so it's important that we see more representation of successful black people not just the idea of we you know if you're black you only this you, know, you are you know a benefit seeker or you you know you just you know this or you end up in a gang which is not true you're really people from all sorts of colors in gangs you know so that's why it's so important to raise the presentation in a positive manner so really can change the outcome for a lot of people and the, and, and you know you know focusing on, on black women was important for me but also i wanted to not be exclusive because i want to bring allies so they understand how it feels when you're in a room where you are the minority and I love when it comes like, how does it feel to be the <laughs> minority in the room? <laughs> and you know, so like you can feel, you can put yourself in our shoes and understand what you can do out there to, to use your, your power of influence to change your game, not only for you, but for other people as well. You know, it's important those things to happen every day. And we do we do really underestimate, you know, the us, you know, something of the assumption, you know, the assumption that we make just based on our subconscious mind. And I love psychology because when it's in psychology, you can apply in marketing. And that's what it is that we do. It's like we we have we feel safe. 
a lot of people don't achieve you know success or happiness because of playing the safe card all the time the same thing when we choose a brand we choose brand that we recognize i love this example when i went to mexico with my brother and we come out of we arrive in cancun and we see these long queue people I'm thinking what's going on i feel oh my gosh maybe they're serving margarita <laughs> margarita now this is the best place ever and no when we look at the top of the queue we see all these americans travel all the way to another country to have a starbucks coffee <laughs> that's the power of the bread that is the power of the bread that's the power of the brain again safe human nature is to want to be safe when we don't know where i'm the opposite like oh i've never tried this i'm going to try something i've never seen on the thing that's probably I'm going to try frogs, you know, camel, all sort of weird food. Okay, I haven't tried insects. But yeah, so really just showcase in terms of why is it so important to build a brand? We feel safe behind brand because we don't like to make, you know, mistakes and take risk by nature. I think you're uh, a testament to what happens when you don't play it safe and you keep on reinventing yourself, keep on trying new things and just keep on pushing in once you've got that personal drive and that why to keep you going, yeah. you can create a life you want while making an impact on the lives of other people around you mm. and drive and change forward because that's exactly what you've done throughout your career in so many different ways. Yes. But you know what? One thing that people get wrong is they think that you have to make a choice. And I think the more you embrace those two, the more quicker, the quicker you're going to achieve success. And if I knew that sooner, even though you know I've done some part of it, but now... For me, it's so important to embrace the two. And I really talk to brain to brands now. They're like, don't just be good at what you do. Think about what you can do beyond because that's what's going to get the word out. Especially if you have a low level of differentiation. Think about really what is above that you can do. That's why more people want to speak with you. That's why people want to get your attention. That's why people want to, you know, interview you. That's why people want to get you on podcast. It's because of that. If you have, if you haven't got a practice significantly different, such as Tesla, whatever it is, you have to go even beyond in terms of your delivery and your your impact on you know for the work that you do. And if you, people implement that from the start, win much faster. What would you say success is for you? Success for me is freedom. I think it's freedom, the fact that, you know, that I think people think success is money. I don't think it's money because I've, I'm, I'm surrounded by millionaires who I really think and they realize they have nothing else than money. And they realize that freedom is freedom to be able to, you know, to be able to spend time with your family. Freedom is freedom. For me, success is, is that time that you are available where you can choose to lay in bed and do things that you really like because you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have time, What's the point? So really, that's freedom of, you know, of making choices that makes you happy. That's really what success is about. Because money is not the end. Money is, is, the, is the enabler against something. I'm not saying that money is not important. It's definitely important. <laughs> but it's not all because you can have all the money in the world. If people say, I make a million pounds, but you have 100,000 pounds of expense every month, then you're definitely not that kind of successful millionaire that people are talking about. I think it's really that's that freedom that you get that, you know, you can create assets that, that um, keep building themselves. You know, you, you know, you create something that does, you know, is of impact as well. So freedom is, you know, so many, for me, success is so many things, but 
one of them is freedom, but it's also impact in knowing that you do something that will enable people to do something else with it. We all underestimate our power, big or small. Yes, we all impact one another. I love this exercise. I remember doing this exercise, my, probably one of my last talk I did uh, in front of an audience. And I asked people, so close your eyes and think about someone that you really, really like, that really influential in your life. And you can see as I'm looking at people, their eyes closed and they start smiling. And I ask them the same question again. So think about someone that really, really is happy to have you in their life. And think about them right now. And see like how much they love having you in their life. And you can see them smiling. So now I want you to think, remove yourself from their life. And think about how their life would have turned out. So that can be you being a mother. Or you being a sister. Or you being a friend. And you can see how their face just go like, and say, like, do you think you have an impact? Do you make an impact? And they say, yes, we do. Yes, you do. And people always think about, like, I have to be the Nelson Mandela. I have to be the singer. I have to be Oprah Winfrey. I'm not talking about, like, impact. Impact doesn't have to be touching millions of people. You know, the thing that we do every day, being a good parent, being a good brother, being a good sister, is all impactful in terms of how, you know, what we do for each, each other. So let's not neglect that. What a perfect way to end what's been a brilliant interview there's so many things that we could go into around like neuroscience neuromarketing <laughs> all that kind of stuff but that's a whole different conversation yeah <laughs> <laughs> another time we can do it again <laughs> where's the best place people can find you well <laughs> Where can you find me? Everywhere except you know they're not gonna find me on TikTok. That's not me. But you can find me on Why yeah. not? <laughs> that is not me. I'm not uh, I love dancing, but dancing to sell my services, that is definitely not me. <laughs> dancing pointing at words. That I'm looking for that. Oh gosh, what have you done, TikTok? But yes, yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn for sure. You can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, you can find me on YouTube. You know, I have lots of great content that I put out there, free workshop. You know, you can get a test of my e of my book, ten with the first ten chapters, ten strategies for my ninety-nine strategy book. So yes, but you know, Google my name is to be fun. It's only one Flavilla. I mean, actually, I'm the most famous Flavilla, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with there's only one Flavilla. There's only one Flavilla. Now, but on the real though, it's um it's a pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on and like i said if you tap into flavella's content online on linkedin on her website on youtube there's so much value that she gives out for free around branding around marketing and she is brilliant at what she does bundle of energy like this is early morning here yes. and we're just, <laughs> just having this conversation and really the impact you've made with um, Black Women in Tech has been absolutely amazing. There have been so many people that I know that have been touched, impacted by that. And the growth, the fact that now you're in so many different countries as well, mm. um, is really, really good to hear. So it's great to see change happening and people moving forward and people taking ownership rather than waiting things to be created. You're like, no, we're going to build this and create this and build it for ourselves. So it's really, really good to see you, to see you doing that. You're spearheading that. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Wait for the next thing. Wait for the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Because <laughs> I know it's going to be dope, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is Everyday Leadership. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. 
you can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them you can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes you can just press a button and ask me that question and i'll answer it on the next episode don't forget to subscribe comment share this podcast with someone else we'll see you next time on everyday leadership